This week on Empowering Midlife Wellness, it's Menopause Day, and I'm reviewing the basics about the changes that happen in our system during menopause and going over my four most important pieces of advice for how to manage menopause so that we can be the healthiest and happiest menopausal women ever. Hi everyone and happy Menopause Day. October 18th is officially our day. In fact, we can claim the whole month of October, but October 18th is Menopause Day. So I thought it would be a really good time just to revisit some of the topics that we've talked about in the past, all about menopause. Now, what I continue to find every day, and this is not your fault, is that most of us are not educated about menopause. So I want to start by just doing a little review of what menopause is, remind each of us what the various hormones do that disappear with menopause, and then talk to you about my top four things to do when we do get into menopause to stay healthy. So just as a recap, there's that time when we're young and fertile, and maybe it's not always perfect, but starting at around 12 or whenever we go through puberty, our estrogen goes up and down, usually in a pretty nice balanced way. About every 28 days we have a period, our estrogen's quite low, then it goes up, we release an egg, that's when our estrogen's the highest, and then it goes down again if we don't get pregnant and we have another period and on it goes. So it's sort of going up and down in a pretty balanced way for most of us. Now, not everyone's that lucky, but you get the picture. We're making estrogen all of the time. Now, progesterone, another very important hormone, is only produced after we ovulate. So after we release an egg, part of the ovary that released the egg produces progesterone and that hormone goes up only after ovulation. It stays high because it's progestational. It's there to protect a fetus should we get pregnant. And then it drops off and we have another period. And so that's going up and down in a different pattern, but nevertheless, both hormones are present and everything's staying pretty balanced. The third hormone that is produced by our ovaries, testosterone, stays pretty stable throughout the month. If we're not on birth control, we do have a little increase in testosterone right around ovulation. And that's why a lot of us, when we were young and fertile, had a little libido increase around ovulation. That was kind of a cool idea to help us to get pregnant. So testosterone over time declines slowly and then reaches very low levels, even zero around menopause or sometimes earlier. And sometimes we do produce a little bit after menopause, but that's what's happening when we're young and fertile. Now there's the other end of the spectrum when we're so-called post-menopausal, that means our ovaries have stopped producing estrogen and progesterone. We're no longer releasing eggs, so we don't make any progesterone. We're not making any estrogen either from our ovaries at least. So those levels are very close to zero. Now we sometimes make a little bit of estrogen from our peripheral tissue like body fat, but suffice to say it's very, very little. So we're young and fertile, we're postmenopausal, and then there's a piece in the middle that we call perimenopause when we're not ovulating regularly. Those hormones are not going up and down in such a balanced way. In fact, we can get very high highs and very low lows of estrogen, and that can create lots of different unpleasant symptoms. As many of us know, it feels a little bit like a hormone roller coaster because, in fact, it actually is. During perimenopause, we're making lots of estrogen at times and very little at others, and overall making much less progesterone because the ovaries are not as strong as they used to be. So that's often called a time of estrogen dominance because we've got lots of estrogen overall 
albeit up and down, and less progesterone. So we get heavier periods sometimes. We can skip periods, we can be moody, we can start gaining weight, retaining water, sleeping poorly, the list goes on. So that's the middle part. And then at some point, those ups and downs go down to being a flat line where we're not producing any hormones at all, and that's called being postmenopausal. Now there's lots of different ways people have defined what menopause means. So a traditional one that you'll read about is that it's defined by not having a period for a full year. Well, that doesn't mean you have to wait a full year before you seek treatment because actually we can draw your blood and find out that your ovaries have stopped functioning well before that happens. So certainly recommend being treated as soon as you become symptomatic or in fact even coming in to be evaluated way before this happens in your mid-40s. So as a review, we're making estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone in various quantities when we're young and fertile. And then those all go away, <laughs> right? Now, sometimes testosterone we have a little bit, but if it's there at all, it's, it's quite low. It declines throughout time. So each one of those three hormones has critical roles in our well-being. So let's just break them down. Estrogen, you know, particularly estradiol, which is the primary estrogen that we make from our ovaries. When it goes away, that's what causes those hot flashes, night sweats, vaginal dryness, dry everything. And then in the background, even if you're not feeling those symptoms, bone loss starts to accelerate. Our blood vessels start to change in ways that increase our risk of things like heart disease. Our brain starts to change in ways that can increase memory changes and even dementia. And for reasons unknown, we have an increased risk of colon cancer when we're in a state of estrogen deprivation for a long time. So lots of things that are less than ideal happen. Now, when we're getting less blood flow to the vagina, which is what happens, we can have less pleasurable sexual function. It's harder to have an orgasm. There's just less blood flow there and the tissue can get thin and dry so that sex just hurts. So often sexual function can become a huge problem. Not to mention the bladder that is right next to the vagina. I mean, they literally are neighbors just a few millimeters apart. So bladder dysfunction starts to increase. So we can have more leakage of urine when we cough and sneeze, more frequent urinary tract infections, anything related to pelvic health starts to decline when our estrogen drops. Now progesterone, what happens when that goes away? Well, traditionally we thought nothing really happens when that goes away, but actually progesterone's very, very much involved in things related to our brain. We've got progesterone receptors head to toe. They are concentrated in our brain. So sleep deprivation is very associated with times of low progesterone, especially perimenopause and of course postmenopause, as well as mood changes, just disruption in our normal circadian rhythm. So it's interesting, isn't it, that we just think it's normal that as we get older, we wake up early, you know, we, that, that's just considered normal. Old people just wake up at four o'clock in the morning. Well, I was feeling like an old person waking up at two o'clock in the morning. We want our circadian rhythms back so that we're awake during the day and we're asleep at night and progesterone is one of the things that contributes to that. Not only that, but it reduces the risk of uterine cancer and it's really good for skin, hair, and nails. So it does have an important role. And then testosterone, which has largely been ignored 
up until the recent years as far as hormone replacement is very much related to our drive to do things, motivation, particularly sex drive. And there are countless studies on testosterone replacement for postmenopausal women who have very little or zero testosterone, showing that testosterone replacement does improve sex drive. It certainly did for me. Not only that, but testosterone helps with bone density along with estrogen. It also helps with mental clarity, optimism, sleep, lots of good things. So when we take those three hormones away rather abruptly, it's not surprising that we feel pretty terrible. I often say it's like trying to drive a car without putting oil in it. It might go, but it's not gonna go very well. We're not running optimally. These hormones are necessary for optimal well-being. So that's the little primer on menopause. So what do we do about it? It's menopause day and we wanna celebrate, but some of us are not feeling very good. Sometimes it feels terrible to go into menopause. Not only is there the grief around the loss of our fertility, now I can tell you I had that even though I'd had my tubes tied. I had three kids and I didn't want any more, but I wanted it to be my choice. Like the idea that I wasn't fertile anymore made me feel old, made me feel irrelevant. Like. I wasn't necessary in the world anymore. It can be a really challenging time emotionally. Not only that, but our ovaries have died essentially. And it brings to light that we're just not gonna live forever. So many of us around this time in life have a little bit of a spiritual awakening about, holy crap, what have I done with my life so far? I don't have that much time left. And it's frequently a period of transition where we're seeking new jobs, new hobbies, new partners, new interests, because we realize that life is precious and we don't have forever left. So there's a magical side to it, but there's also difficulty that we need to talk about. We need to be open about the fact that it's difficult at times. So what do we do about it? Number one, get your hormones balanced. We need to replace these hormones in order to feel good. There are very few patients who cannot take hormones. If you've been told you cannot take hormones, what does your doctor mean by that? Hormones are a big basket, perhaps in certain conditions, like if you're actively being treated for an estrogen sensitive breast cancer, it's not a good idea to take estrogen right now, but testosterone would be fine. Progesterone likely would be fine. So it's very, very unlikely that you're not a candidate to take some hormones, if not all of them, to help you to feel better. So Hormone optimization is absolutely number one. And apart from the three ovarian hormones, we also want to optimize some other critical hormones in your system. Your thyroid, I've talked about that a lot. Insulin, talked about that a lot too. Insulin resistance is a precursor to diabetes, but in the short term, it makes you gain fat, and who wants that? And then cortisol, a critical hormone, it's a stress hormone gets very disrupted, often just going through menopause. That's a whole big topic, but those five hormones amongst others really need to be optimized. And the only way to do that, ladies, is to get them checked and meet with a really good doctor who knows how to do that for you. So number one, hormone optimization. Number two, his lifestyle changes. You know, I've reached a fork in the road like many of us do where I had to decide to change things in order to maintain the healthy weight that I wanted and to feel good and energetic. And it meant I had to change what I was eating. 
I had to change the time that I was eating, and I had to really commit to a different movement plan that included some strength training. And it's a choice. Uh, we can choose a different path. But my mom, who's 89, chose a different path, and I'm watching her now with osteoporosis, Alzheimer's, early dementia, no muscle mass, so her movement's very restricted, and there's very little that she can do comfortably. That's a choice. Now, she didn't have that choice because she wasn't offered these options, but choosing to clean up our nutrition, follow a high-protein, low-carb, low-sugar lifestyle. Personally, I follow a plant-based lifestyle. You don't have to do that, but that's a very healthy option. Make exercise part of your life so that it's not something you just force yourself to do for a little while while you're losing weight, but something that's part of your life, that you're moving daily for at least 30 minutes, actually moving a little bit every hour, even if you're sitting at a desk. And then critically for us ladies, we've got to do some strength training and not soul cycle doing little three pound weights. I do that too, but that's cardio. <laughs> Lifting some heavy weights so that your muscles hurt the next day so that we're breaking down and rebuilding muscle because keeping a healthy muscle mass is critical for movement, for metabolism, for not falling down and breaking a bone, for maintaining balance, also for looking good and feeling good. It doesn't hurt either. And the trajectory is that we lose muscle as we age, but we do get to choose whether that happens or not to some degree. And we've got to eat lots of protein to support our muscles. So you see how it's all working? In the lifestyle category, sleeping. And I've talked about that before. It's easier said than done. Get an Aura ring, O-U-R-A. I can't recommend it more highly. I've mentioned before, I'm now sleeping from seven to nine hours a night, and I was the worst sleeper on earth. I had terrible insomnia. When we don't sleep well, of course, we feel grumpy. We crave sugar. We don't want to exercise. We definitely don't want to have sex. <laughs> it becomes a vicious cycle that goes in the wrong direction. When we can finally learn how to sleep well again, we actually burn more fat because our cortisol is lower. Of course, we feel better the next day, so we're more able to stick to those plans that we really want to stick to. But it's easier said than done, isn't it? So if I just told you to sleep well, that's a pretty useless piece of advice. How do we do it? I made a video about that recently. It's a complex picture, but don't give up. If I can sleep well, you can too. And again, it starts with hormone balance, lifestyle changes, things as simple as not eating late, cutting out alcohol two hours before bed, not getting riled up within two hours before bed. So don't watch a crazy, scary TV show. Don't get in a fight with your family right before bed. Get blue light out of your bedroom. We all know this stuff, right? meditation, breathing. You could write the book on that. I know that you know how to do this, but we resist doing it because part of us doesn't want to change. So it's a choice. And I promise you, you can sleep. We'll talk about that some more. So in the lifestyle changes, we've got nutrition, we've got movement, we've got sleep. And here's some other really important factors once we've got those two things working for us. And I'm going back to the research that I did for my book, Sexually Woke. You can get that on Amazon if you haven't got it already. This is a great time to really delve into some self-awareness. The women in my book, this was part of a research study about why some women in menopause felt really great and vibrant, particularly around things to do with sexuality. They had a very high rate of having a very high level of self-awareness. And what I mean by that is just spending some time really getting to know how you tick what makes you act, what makes you react, 
getting to know that internal family that we all have, all those little voices that we have inside, our critical voice, our very childish voice. We each have a family inside and there's a model called internal family systems that I absolutely love and I work with it a lot. I'm gonna put a link to another book called No Bad Parts that I recommend everybody read, especially if you're on a self-awareness and self-development journey. And this is a critical time to do that when we're in menopause because we can finally have some space and wisdom. So making friends with your internal family, learning what makes you tick, becoming less reactive, more peaceful. Doesn't that sound like a good idea? I'm on that path too. And then the other thing, this is number four, <laughs> that the women in my book noticed was that they had a mindset that was open to possibility. And what does that mean? Well, many of us at around the time of menopause are conditioned by culture, our families, what we've learned growing up, that menopause is kind of the end of everything important, that everything good happened in the past and there's not much to look forward to. And that is a story. It's what we call a limiting belief. It's not true. And certainly opening to the possibility that we can consider another option just give some space to see that there is a possibility that this time in life could be the best part ever. And I can tell you that not only it can, but it will be. If we just decide to think differently and open our minds to possibility, we actually do not live in a prison. We live in a prison in our minds sometimes, but we hold the key. So those are my four secrets for managing menopause on this exciting menopause day. Hormone balance, number one. Some lifestyle changes, know yourself, dig into some self-awareness work and make that a priority. And then work on our mindset so we can be open to possibility and challenge our limiting beliefs. It's so great to see you on Menopause Day, ladies, and I cannot wait to see you next week. <laughs>